morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning time together here to Digital Cathedral. Hope you're having a great start to a Sunday that's going to be a fantabulous day for you and the beginning of a brand new week. This morning I'm doing a teaching, I'm, I'm titling this Universal Truth, The Universal Truth. And what I mean by the universal truth is this. A universal truth is something that's always true under every circumstance, under every condition, uh, without exception. It's something you can hang your hat on. So we're gonna look at one today that I think will change your life if you haven't already embraced this. Now, if you've already embraced it, then there's some things I'm going to say about this that might take take it down to just another level. So I think I'm going to hit some things today that for some of you is going to stretch you. For some of you, it's going to rock your paradigm. And for others of you, it's going to help you to get a little bit clearer picture of what this unlimited life really is all about. So let's look today, let's look at a universal truth. I'm going to, I'm going to alternate a little bit back and forth between the New King James and the Amplified. So if you want to follow along with me, we'll be working out of those two versions of the Bible. So the unlimited life, if uh, you've been following me, you've probably drawn the conclusion at this time that the unlimited life is living his life as our life. And it's actually his life living as our life. So there's a, there's a, there's a union, there's an intertwining of the life of the Father through the Son in the Spirit with our life so that we can begin to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father that we're to be a clear reflection, as Jesus was, of what the Father is all about. Now, we could call that, um, you know, the ascended life. We could call it the higher calling. We could live it, uh, call it living from a higher dimension. There's a number of different phrases that we could attach to this. So for what we're studying, I've just decided to call it the unlimited. Because I want to, I want to just take the, the boundaries off of what we have placed on ourselves and through what maybe religion has, in, <clears throat> has enforced on us as to what we can do and what we can't do. When we live his life as our life, our life as his life, that opens up an entire dimension that most of us have not considered. And it's going to take some unloading of baggage of preset mindsets that we have that are, are well ingrained within us. <clears throat> Let me read through three verses of scripture just to get us thinking about this higher place of living that we're talking about. I'm gonna read three verses from the Amplified real quick. I'm not gonna to try to make too much comment. I've got a lot of ground I wanna cover this morning, so I can't spend too much time on any one place. But let me just get your thinking in alignment with where I wanna go this morning. Fair enough? Out of the Amplified, Ephesians, or, uh, Galatians chapter two, verse 20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. I'm reading out of the Amplified. I've been crucified with Christ. That is, in him I have shared his resurrection. Now, we need, we need to get a hold of this solidly because we were crucified with Christ. It, it was a co-crucifixion. Now, the Amplified goes on and lays it out just a little bit more clear. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. That is, in him I have shared his crucifixion. I've shared in it. We are shares in it. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. That's a higher place of living right there. When you no longer live your life, but you live the Christ life as your life, that's coming from a definite higher dimension than what a natural life is. The life that I now live in the body, I live by the faith, adhering to, relying on, completely trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
All right, let's hop over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, still reading out of the Amplified. I'll read all three of these out of the Amplified. And what I want you to see is the higher place, the higher dimension, the ascended life. Uh, his life is your life. Your life is his life. I'm, I'm, I'm really nailing this down because I'm going to tell you something. Uh, heads up, in June or July, probably be July, we're going to take off into some things that are brand new to the Digital Cathedral. I'm working through them right now. I'm getting a lot of download from the Spirit of God. And I think it's going to be uh, mind-blowing what we're going to get into. So I'm just trying to build brick upon brick for the next couple of months. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, if we have been raised with Christ for a new life, right? So we have been raised with Christ for a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead. Now let's just combine that with what we just read in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that says we were crucified with Christ. And now we find here in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 that we share in his resurrection. And what I want you to see out of this is that that's the time that you were born from death to life with him. Let me, let me just read this whole first verse without stopping. It's so packed full. It's, I have to resist the temptation. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ to a, to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, you were born from death to life when he was. When he walked out of the tomb, you walked out with him. <clears throat> Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. Your number is in there being included with him. Now, keep seeking the things that are above. This has allowed you, this co-resurrection, this co-crucifixion, co-resurrection has entitled you to continue to seek things that are above. Things that are above are spirit. Things that are above are not natural. Natural is below, spirit is above. So what we want to do is live above the line. We want to live in spirit. And that's going to lead us into all the things that we're talking about. Set your mind, verse 2 says, set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth, which have a temporal value, and I might add, have a temporal existence. They, they change. They're not the same. They, you, they, you can't depend on what's on the natural realm. That's why our lives <clears throat> so many times have been messed up. We've, just when we get to depending on the natural, it changes. And so it throws us off and makes us insecure. And we don't know whether we're going or coming. And we spend all of our time praying to God to help us to get out of this temporal mess when the whole time he's trying to get us to live from a different place, from a different perspective. But we'll never hang on to it if we don't know we were co-crucified, co-resurrected from death to life. That's when you uh, had objectively, factually, life imparted to you. Verse three, for you died to this world, and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. All right, now Philippians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians just back a little bit to the left, Philippians chapter 3, and um, I think I'm going to switch over to the New King James for this one because there's a word that I want to pick up on that I think is really valuable here, and I want you to get the full impact of it. So let me read it out of the New King James. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Oops, went back one page too far to the left. Philippians chapter 3. Doggone it. I've got, I'm still working on my new Bible to get all these pages untangled. 
chapter 3, verse 12. All right, now are, are you with me still? We were co-crucified with Christ. We were raised with Christ's resurrection, shared in new life. We were born from death to life. And so it now says, and I'm making these points because I want you to understand the ascended life, the life that's from above, the unlimited. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, not that I've already attained or already perfect. So there's a process to this. We're, we're in, a, in, in a journey. We're, in a, we're, we're being uh, perfected. And Paul says, not that I'm already attained. And let me just back up. You are already are perfect. We're coming to the realization of that perfection. You'll never be more perfect than you are today. You'll never be more righteous, more redeemed. You'll never be uh, more holy than you are today. Now, what we do is we come to more realization and awareness of who we already are. So Paul says, not that I've already attained or already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ also has laid hold of me. I want you to see here first that he first laid hold of you. You didn't lay hold of him and then he embraced you. He first laid hold of you. He embraced you. And I want, I want to look particularly at that word laid hold of because he uses a different word in verse 13 that comes from the same Greek word, katalambano, which I'll, I'll define for you in just a minute. But I want you to see out of that verse 12 that he has laid hold of you. And that's, that's the ability then to live this high life, the ascended life, the unlimited, because he first laid hold of you and enabled you and has empowered you to do it. Now watch verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. And that word apprehended is the word catalambano. And it means, it means very simply to grab hold of or seize uh, or to eagerly grab onto, all right? So it's, Paul's, Paul's saying, not, not that I've already grasped it fully. He said, not that I've apprehended, but he said, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, he said, I press for the things that are ahead of me. So here's what I, here's what I want you to see. At verse 12, he came to us and he apprehended us. It was his sovereign decision. It was his choice. And he did it catalambano. He did it eagerly. He did it without reservation. He did it without hesitation. He came into the deepest, darkest parts of our life. You know, those parts we don't want anybody to know about. And we all have them. Come on, let's be honest. We all have things we just do not share with other people uh, about our life. But he entered into the darkest, deepest um, places of humanity and he apprehended us. He laid hold of us. And as we have come to the realization of his grabbing hold of us, then we have embraced him. So what Paul is trying to get across here is that we have the same mind of grabbing hold of him now that he had originally of grabbing hold of us. Now, there's one thing I want you to notice that Paul said that is necessary if we're going to hold on to this ascended life, if we're going to develop and move into that which is uh, above, if we're going to walk in spirit, he says in verse 13, he says, we have to let go. And there's two parts to this. We have to let go of the things that are behind. We have to let go of those things. You cannot hit the higher dimension. You cannot hit uh, the life that is from above until you leave behind and depart all of the past, good and bad. You become a man with no reputation. Isn't that what happened to Jesus? He made himself with no reputation. We need to make ourselves, if we're, if we're wanting to move forward, but that doesn't mean your memory is going to be erased. 
but that means what what it means is that you're not you're not apprehending the past you're not still holding on to it you're not eagerly seizing it you're you're not catalambano the past but you've released it you have let go of it that means all the mindsets that means some of the paradigms, the old doctrines, the things that we held on to that produced the fear, the doubt, the condemnation, the guilt in our life. We have to release all of that. And, you know, I understand that that is, again, is a process. And I think that's what Paul was getting at when he said, I haven't been perfected yet. I haven't apprehended it all. I'm still in this process. Think about Paul. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a legalist of the legal. So he had to go through what you and I go through of letting go for many of us the past that we had in religion, the things that we have been ingrained with. And when you do that, then to, listen to me, the degree that you release the past enables you then to reach for that which is ahead. I'm, I'm not interested in hanging on to my past. I'm not interested in hanging on to old doctrines, old mindsets, old paradigms. What I am interested in is discovering truth. I'm interested in grabbing, reaching, and pulling catalambano. I'm, I'm anxious to eagerly seize that which is ahead of me, which is in front of me, and pulling it to me. Walking in a higher dimension, seeking things above, is a life that is lived out of spirit. We read at the very beginning of the teaching this morning, about 10, 12 minutes ago, that he said, continually seek those things that are above. Don't seek things on the earth. Don't seek the temporal. Don't, he said, get your mind off of that stuff. Once you tap into what is above, once you start living out of the provision of the kingdom, you find that all these things are added to you that you were trying to grab eagerly and pull to yourself, right? It, when, when, when you walk in spirit, here's what it produces. When you walk in spirit, it produces fruit of spirit. Fruit of the spirit comes from walking in the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit might be a good measure to where you are in your, in your spirit walk. Jesus produced the fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, long-suffering, uh, the meekness, the kindness. All nine fruits of the spirit grew uh, profusely out of the life of Jesus because he walked in spirit. He did what the Father said. He only um, moved how the Father moved. So he would, he would catalambano, he would grab, eagerly grab a hold of it and pull to himself that which was in front of him, even to the cross, even to the cross. He, he took hold of the cross and eagerly pulled it to himself and in pulling it to himself, he pulled all humanity to himself. Now, what, what the fruit of the Spirit will do, and this is why it's important, and this is why, what you develop as you live from above, we all want love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. We all want patience. James said, let patience have her perfect work that you might be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I think patience is one of the things that's difficult for us in this generation that we live in to really hold on to. We live in a microwave world. We don't want to crockpot anything. We want a microwave. We want it now. He said, let patience have its perfect work that you might be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, you have to learn patience. And the only way you learn patience is to be thrown into circumstances that try to steal your patience. You know, your job, your children. I mean, there's a gazillion circumstances that try to come up to rob us of our patience. But a patience, here's what patience will do. Here's what the fruit of the Spirit, let me, let me broaden it out. Here's what the fruit of the Spirit will do. It will absolutely kryptonite your anxiety, your stress, your depression. 
So you can't have joy and be depressed. Now, you got to start growing these before you're in those conditions. See, we find ourselves in those conditions, then we're trying to work our way out. We're going to see from Scripture in just a couple of minutes that it's better to develop these ahead of time and let these grow in your life before you get into the situation that's impossible. I, I, I will be the first one to admit to you that if you're depressed, it's hard to get out of it. I hate that feeling of depression. When I, when I sense that thing trying to grip me, I, I, I refuse it. I, I hate the feeling. I hate it so much I won't, I won't allow it. I won't, you know, anxiety is one <clears throat> I've had to work on much more than depression. Anxiety, you know, I get anxious. I try to figure things out, try to move ahead, try to uh, move in things way too quickly. But the fruit of the Spirit frees you to hear and to walk in that realm that is from above. And that's why we want to develop the fruit of the Spirit. So this ascended life we're learning is his life. And there's only one life to live. It's his life. His life is, the only life there is is his life. So it, it comes down to how much of that life do we want to live. But let me just, let me firmly fix in your mind this morning that there's only one life. There's not two lives. There's not a devil's life in God's life. There's not a good life, bad life. There's just one life. There's his life. And now we're, we're discerning and we're figuring out by the Spirit, by seeking things above, how we can live in that life in a better way. Let me just nail that down for you. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And let's look at uh, verse 16 to verse 17. Okay? This, this, is, this is powerful stuff. Now I want you to understand this. Verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created through him. Everything that you see that is created invisible came out of what is invisible. It was created through him, and this is really important, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. You've always been in him. You didn't know it. Always. There's one life. Everything consists in this one life. All life emanates from his life. Outside of him, there is no life. There is no life. Jesus said, what is it in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Then in um, John chapter 1 in verse 4, uh, let me just paraphrase it. In verse 4, it says that in Jesus is the light and het light is the life of the world. And then in verse 9, he says, John says that Jesus is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. So the light that man has, every man has that comes into the world, is his life. Verse 4, in him was light, and that light was a, was a life. And in verse 9, he says everybody that comes into the world has a Jesus light. All I do at the digital cathedral is flip the light switch. See, every week I want to flip the light switch. Probably it's more like a dial. Let's look at it like a dial. Every week I want to turn the dial higher and higher and higher. Of your realization and my realization, when I come over on Sunday morning, I just, I just uh, talk to you about what he's talked to me about. And every week he's turning his life dial higher that I'm, I'm, I'm seeing more and more that everybody's had a Jesus light in them the whole time. And that changes everything. That changes anything. That's a universal truth. That's one universal truth you can take to the bank. I'm going to give you another one in a few minutes, but that's a universal truth. 
all situations, all people, all circumstances, it matters not. Everybody has a Jesus light. John 1, 9. John 1, 9. The entire purpose of the incarnation of Jesus coming in flesh, of God coming in flesh, was to give us a life that is more abundant, to get us off this earthly dimension. We were never designed to live on this dimension. The abundant life begins when you are born again, but we've had a jacked up idea of what born again is. We thought born again happens when you pray the magic prayer and all of a sudden Jesus comes from somewhere and dives into your heart at that point. And that's so wrong. All have a Jesus light within them. The objective fact, the universal truth is that all were saved at the cross. Every human. The word is so-so. Even saved, we've, we have made saved come down to two things, going to heaven, going to hell. That's not what saved is. That's not what sozo is. Sozo, saved, means that we were healed, we delivered, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. All of that, that's, that's being born again from above, from spirit. Now, we recognize it, and, and I think people call that born again experience when their eyes open. But that, doesn't, that is not when it took place. It took place at the cross. That's a universal truth. Now, I, I recognize the first time I prayed the magic prayer was when I was seven. I've shared that story with you several times. You know, and I, I did it a number of other times because our church believed you could lose it. If you sinned, you lost it. So I was always losing it. So I had to get back to get it. So I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and got it. A lot of, every, there are many, many people that are saved but don't know it. And because they don't know it, they can't enjoy it. They can't live in it. They can't, they can't enter into this life that you and I are talking about every Saturday, Sunday and every Wednesday at the Digital Cathedral and Wednesday at the Secret Place. Let me, let, let's look at some scripture here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. This is good stuff, man. I, I'm laying down some things for you that you have got to get. I want you to, I want you to let this stuff get rooted in you because I know where we're going. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Um, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. There are lots of folks today, they're sitting in church while you're here at the Digital Cathedral and they're sitting in their church and they're being groomed to walk in the futility of their mind. They're trying to figure out what we can do to please God. They're trying to figure out three steps to a successful prayer, four steps to a good marriage. They're trying to figure out how to tap into what we're talking about this morning. If we were to go over there and talk to them about it, they wouldn't believe it because they're walking in the futility of their minds. And here's what happens when you do that. This is how a natural man walks. His understanding is darkened and he's alienated from the life of God. That doesn't mean he doesn't have the life of God, but he's alienated. He doesn't believe he has it. He feels he's separated from it. because of, Watch what alienates him. Because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They just don't see it. They just don't get it. Now, here is what happens when you're born again. We call this born again. This is being born of spirit. But I, I want you to see that the whole thing here that holds people back from the life we talk about, from the unlimited, from a life of radical grace, of favor that God just pours out on everybody, whether you think you deserve it or that guy down the street you think deserves it or not, he gives it to everybody. Everybody, the same portion. He gives the guy that worked all day the same wage as the drunk that comes in the last hour. We, you can read that in the parable of, 
of, of, of the talents. And you can read it in the, in the parable of the workmen that come and Jesus, Jesus tried to tell us, this is how grace works, because everybody, but people are blind in their hearts. They've been alienated, been told they're alienated, and so they don't see it. Now, here's, here's what sets them free. Here's, here's where you, you, you thought you were born again. Verse 20, but you haven't learned Christ that way. See, you haven't learned him like verse 18, 19. You didn't learn him to be darkened in your understanding and alienated. He said, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him. When the Christ teaches you, your eyes open up. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him, been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. All right, and it's all him. It's his doing. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, that, that's what, that's people that think they're born again just got their mind renewed. Their, their eyes opened up, their minds opened up to what they, what they possessed at the cross. Verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which was created in God in true righteousness and holiness. That's his work. So verse 17, 18 is, is moving from a lower place. Verse 17, verse 18, alienated, darkened understanding. It's moving to a higher place, verse 20, 21. It's bringing, it's bringing heaven into your earth. It's seeing the prayer that Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is within you. So what we're, what we're doing is bringing what's in us out of us. And it's, it's becoming a place where he dwells permanently. See, you're recognizing he's, he's not coming to you for a visitation. He's not showing up for a weekend. He's living in your life, the kingdom, the heaven. Uh, the Christ awareness, that, they, that is perpetually, perpetually there. That's universal truth, right? Paul lays it out clearly. I was in a, Ephesians 4. Let, let me come back to Ephesians 1. Watch how clearly Paul lays this out. Ephesians 1 verse 18. He says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That's born again, man. That's, that's what happened. Now watch what happens when you're born again. That you may know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You have an inheritance. Jews have a covenant. See, Jews had an old covenant. He made a new covenant with the house of, house of Israel. I, I'm probably gonna get a bunch of questions on that. As a Gentile, you have an inheritance. As a Gentile, you were never under covenant. You have an inheritance. Jesus left you an inheritance. And he says, I want you to have your eyes open so that you can know what the inheritance is. He looks at you and says, here's the extent of the power that I'm gonna give you. Here's the strength that you have. Here's the might that I've placed in you. Here's your inheritance. All right, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? So this is a working of his power within us that we can't get away from. Verse 23, now he starts, now he starts to describe it. From verse 19 to 22, he describes it. Let me hit 19 again. What is, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? All right, here's a demonstration. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and dominion and might and name that is named in this age, but also in the age which is to come, right? So he says, this is, the, this is the extent of the power. He said, I raised Jesus with the power that I have given to you as an inheritance. The same power 
that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. That's how powerful you are. That's how strong you are. That's, that's what he's made at your disposal. That's the fullness of him that fills, fills all things. All right, now watch, watch what he says in verse 23, verse 22. All right, he describes the power in verses 20, 21. And in 22, he says, and he put all things under his feet. He's talking about you and gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church. Jesus is the head, we're the feet. He gave all things, he put all things under his feet and gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, verse 23, which is his body. All right, he's the head. He put all things under his feet. Is the feet in the head or is the feet in the body? The feet's in the body. So he put all things under the feet which is the body of Christ, the fullness of him. The body of Christ is the fullness of him. He's describing the inheritance we have. He's describing the deposit that's been placed into our life. He says it's the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. You have it this morning. You don't have to try to strive to get it. He said it fills all and is in all. The completeness of his being, the essence of himself, he has placed within you. All right, now let me just shift. Let me make a little shift right here. The match that ignites this power we're talking about right here, this resurrection power which has been placed in you, that ignites it, let me just make a shift, and releases it, is love. It's the fullness of his love. Love is the key to the kingdom. Everything comes out of love. Everything comes out of love. It's, it's the common denominator for the gifts for faith, for grace, it all works by love. The deeper we walk in love, the more power we live in. I'm convinced of that. It, we don't have a power shortage. What we have is a love shortage. So as we learn to, learn to walk in love, we experience the release of the life of God to the world. We release his life through love, right? God is who... who, who is love who used his power of love to raise Jesus from the dead. And it was the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that birthed you at the, at the resurrection from death to life, right? It's his love that triggers the power that generated the resurrection of Jesus and also generated your resurrection with Jesus when he walked out of the tomb. Grace is demonstrated in love. Grace demonstrated in love, that's the currency of the kingdom. You wanna know how, the king, how, how you purchase the kingdom? It's grace through love. It's, it's love that works by grace. So Jesus was full of, of grace, he was full of love. The life of God, who is love himself, is the unlimited life. You cannot tap the unlimited life without love. And that's a hard one for us the ascended life, the life from above, the higher dimension life. It belongs to you, and, and, and he's opening our eyes. All right, you want to know how to walk in it? You walk out in love. What, what's the one thing that Jesus said the whole world would recognize his presence on the earth through? He said in John chapter 13, verse 34, 35, he said, a new law I give to you. He said that you love one another as I have loved you. Then he said, now, this is a change. He said that you love one another as I've loved you. There's an earlier commandment. He said, did you just love one another? But now he begins to say, okay, guys, you've seen my life. 
You've seen what I demonstrated. Now I want you to take what I have given you and love one another with that love. And he says in the verse 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You want to know how to manifest as a son? He said, by this shall all men know that you're my sons, my disciples, because you have loved one for another. We have trouble with that in the church. We got 40,000 denominations that don't love one another, argue with one another, tear one another down. You make a post on Facebook that contradicts evangelical theology, you'll be ripped. There's no demonstration of love. This is why we have not seen the demonstration of the life that Jesus came to bring us. The church has spent millions of dollars, millions of, tens of millions of dollars to send missionaries to foreign lands to make little clones of them. Jesus told the Pharisees that. He said, you spent all kind of money to go over land and sea to make one convert. He said, or that's twice as jacked up as what you are, right? We go on the street to evangelize. We're trying to win the world to our persuasion. That's not how the world is won. The world is won through a demonstration of love. The key Jesus gives is free. Love is free, but I'll tell you what, it costs you everything you got. Costs you everything you got. What sets you into the unlimited life is the demonstration when you love the unlovely, when you give grace to the ungrateful, when you forgive those that don't ask to be forgiven. He's, he's bringing those that have awakened to their identity to the full realization that they are to be the manifestation, the reflection of the Father on the earth like Jesus was. That's why we live the Christ is us life. It's to bring a clear reflection. The whole bottom line on this is to bring the kingdom into the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are the leaven in the lump. And that leaven is continuing to, to expand, to explode. Now here's the universal truth that you and I have got to stand for and we can't back up on it. Here's the universal truth that is imperative to everything we're talking about. Let me just show you from scripture. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read these out of, the, out of the Amplified. John chapter 17 and verse 28. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Acts chapter 17 and verse 28. Now here's the message that Paul taught to a bunch of idol worshipers. Here's what he said in Acts chapter 17 and verse 28. He says for, now he's telling the idol worshipers this. He says, for it's in him that we live and move and exist. That is in him we actually have our being. And he dresses them and he says, even as some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. So what's Paul doing here? Paul is extending to them and saying this. He's saying, all of us are the children of God. Now you wanna, you wanna start a fight in religious circles. You make the claim that all people are God's children. They're not going to buy that because they don't think they become a child until they do. They don't believe the done was enough to make them children, to make all men children. Jesus finished it all. You have to do something. You have to believe. You have to confess. You have to have faith. You have to understand our doctrine. You, all kind of, you have to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus only. See, that's it. There's all kinds of variations on it. But Paul just brings it right down. And this is what we can, we can be lenient on a lot of things. But I think the universality of the fatherhood of God is something that we cannot back up on because it is the key that unlocks. Once somebody knows 
that they're a son, they're a child of God, that gives them their identity. They're no longer searching for it. They're no longer trying to attain it. They're no longer trying to pull it to themselves. Now they can eagerly combat Lambano, they can eagerly seize, grab hold of, pull to themselves that for which they've been apprehended. The Father has fully apprehended all of us, fully apprehended us. And I read that verse from John chapter 1 and verse 9, but I want to read it for you out of the Amplified because you don't hear this stuff in church. I don't teach stuff. That's why I guess I'm not in the church anymore. You just don't hear this. They don't teach us. And yet it's just simple, obvious, basic truth. John chapter 1 verse 9 says this. There it was, the true light, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light, which coming into the world, watch, enlightens everyone. So all we do is turn the dial up. There's already the light in them. They already have been claimed, laid hold of, redeemed reconciled, fully possessed. But here's the verse that just nails it down. And I posted it this week and the evangelicals came out of the woodwork to fight this tooth and nail because this is impossible for them to believe. And yet this sums it up so clearly. I don't, you need somebody, you need an evangelical to help you misunderstand this. Ephesians chapter four, verse six, out of the Amplified. It says, there is one God and Father of us all. One God and Father of us all, who is sovereign over all, working through all, listen, and living in all. Now, I, see, that's the truth. That's the universal truth that we have got to hang on to. I've given you three, four universal truths this morning, but this is the mother load right there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. Now, listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, 4 out of the Messenger translation. I'll just read it for you. He says, your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. He is in all. That's Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, 4 out of the, out of the Message translation. So, you know what, guys? With all the revelation we have, with all the insight we have, we might as well throw up our hands and surrender to the higher life, to the better life, to the transcendent life, to the unlimited. We might as well submit to it. We might as well understand this is our portion. This is, this is why you're here. This is why God put his hand on you and brought you through all the garbage, all the religious junk, many of us, to bring us to this time. When we, like Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, Paul, see, the father groomed Paul to be non-legalistic through legalism, that when he saw the grace, it so contrasted that he embraced it. He catalambandled it. He, told, he got a hold of it quick, and he wouldn't let it go. The ascended life that taps into the unlimited is a life of rest. It's a life of rest. Everything we're taught, he, he's the father of all. You rest in that, right? You rest, you cease your labor. It's a full reliance on his way. That's what the unlimited is. It's a rest and it's a trust. It's knowing that he will do what he said he would do. And it's, and it's a believing. Believing is a responding to what he shows you. So all you and I do in the unlimited, ascended, higher dimension life is we learn how to rest, we learn how to trust, and we learn how to believe. 
Believing is not a work. It's an effortless response to what he shows you, to revelation. So once we, once we rest, once we trust, once we believe, then you know what we do? We leave all the results up to him. The results that he brings is entirely up to him. Now, Abraham demonstrated that. He demonstrated that very thing of resting, trusting, and believing. The difference with Abraham is he started with an impossible situation. I want to read those verses for you out of Romans chapter 4. And I want you to put yourself in, uh, in Abraham's place this morning. You're, you're 100 years old, and God comes to you. I mean, you talk about Mission Impossible. You're 100 years old. God comes to you, and he tells you this. Let me pick it up in verse 17. As it is written in Scripture, he says to Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations. This guy's 100 years old. In the sight of him, in whom he believed, that is God, who gives life to the dead. God specializes in this stuff. And we can see it. See, what our job is to give life to the dead. Those people that don't know who they are, haven't had the light turned on, we give life to those people that think they're alienated and dead. Verse, let me, let me finish on here. I got to quit, quit preaching. Who gives life to the dead and calls things that be not as though they are. In hope. In hope, against hope, Abraham believed that he would become the father of many nations as he had promised, been promised by God. So numberless shall your descendants be. This is an amazing promise that God gave him. Verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now as good as dead for producing children since he was about 100 years old. And he did not, and he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not doubt or waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God, but grew strong and empowered by faith, giving glory to God. Same him just stood his ground. The faith was he trusted the one who promised it as being able to fulfill it. And he says it here, verse 21, being fully convinced that God had the power to do what he promised. Now that's the position where you rest, you trust, you believe. You fully trust, you're convinced. You're convinced. Not just hoping and a praying. Not just thinking maybe it could be. This is the unlimited. This is the unlimited life. Convinced that God had the power to do what he promised. That's the trusting. That's the trusting. Abraham had to rest in that. See, there was a time he didn't rest in it. And what happened? Well, Ishmael was a result of it. Abraham got to figuring it out in his flesh. He got down to that lower dimension. He left the high life, went to back to the lower life. He said, I better figure this thing out. I got to get her done somehow. So he messed it up. And God had to the, the GPS him back on track. Right? Let, let's read verse 22. Therefore, his faith was credited to him for righteousness, right standing with God. What, what was it that made Abraham righteous? Was it his ability? Was it his power? Was it his might? No, it was his resting, resting, ceasing from his own works, not trying to make it happen, trusting, counting God who promised it, having the ability to do it, and believing, just responding to the revelation that God gave him. So when the, Father, when the Father speaks to you, even in your flesh, if you think you can get her done, oh, hang on to this. Listen, this is going to help you. It's going to keep you out of some messes. Even if what you feel God wants you to do, you think you can do it by yourself, don't do it. Back off. Back off and get into that place of resting, trusting, and believing Get into that place where we walk by spirit, develop fruit of the spirit, against which there is no law, by the way. There's no law against the fruit of the spirit. You can't, you can't hamper it. You can't box it up. 
You can't limit it. There's no law to, against the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot limit it. It is unlimited in what it can do. So even if you feel like there's something he's asking you to do, you know, back off. And, and this is where you develop the resting, trusting, and believing. It's not when you face the impossible situation. See, it's not when you're in the depression. It's not when you're in the anxiety. That now you say, I better learn how to rest, trust, and believe in this thing. No, it's too late. You're in the middle of a mess. You're in the middle of the storm. And your house has not been built on hearing and doing what he said. So therefore, you're going to have a problem digging out of it. You're going to have an Ishmael. You're probably going to birth an Ishmael. I've got Ishmaels. We've all had Ishmaels. We've all known what God wanted us to do, thought we could do it ourselves, and ventured out and made a mess. Or maybe it looked halfway successful, but it wasn't. It's going to burn up. It burned up. It's wood, hay, and stubble. The time you develop, the resting, trusting, believing, the time that you let the fruit of the Spirit grow is not when you're facing problems, not when you're in the middle of an impossible situation like Abraham. Abraham started from the impossible. But you and I now, we can start before we face the impossible. And we can learn those lessons and develop what we need to live, to what we need to develop. So you're learning how to live out of one source, right? You're learning how to live out of his source, one source. You're, you're learning to listen and know that when the enemy comes, when your carnal mind comes and starts knocking at your door and trying to tell you what to do, uh, how you need to flesh at, you know that it's the Christ that comes and answers the door of the knock of the carnal mind. You don't have to go there. When the storms begin to beat on your house, right, and you have made Christ your life, you have rested, trusted, believed, believe, you know that he's going to hold your house firm. You're going to have absolute confidence that the one who promised it is going to be the one to deliver it. You know what? It's a lot easier to cut your teeth on things that you think you can do, but you don't do it, and you back up and let him do it, and you develop your ability to rest, trust, and believe. I'm telling you this morning, there's a people that's, that's growing on the earth. There's a people that's coming forth on the earth that are sick and tired of living on this earthly, fleshly dimension. We've lived a life that's been more like first Adam than last Adam. We're coming out of that. There's a people that are, are seeing it. And there's a people now uh, that are beginning to live out of spirit, that are beginning to recognize there is a life that is from above that I can seek that I can embrace as my life, that I can actually have. See, you can live in a spirit that is from above and you can enjoy the secrets and the unfolding mysteries that the Father will lean over to you that are seated on his right hand and whisper in your ear. How many, how many, how many mysteries, how many things do you think God would really like to reveal to you if we would stop trying to perform it all ourselves and would rest, trust, and believe? How many things has he spoken to us that we have just abandoned because it didn't look like it would ever happen. The good news today is that stuff is no longer on top of us. We're on top of the stuff. Good news today is we're no longer trying to get to victory like we tried to learn so many years in church and in religion. Good news is we're coming from a place of victory. Not trying to get there, you're coming from there. That's an entirely different paradigm. That's an entirely shift of, of the perspective of life. That's living from the high life. That's living from above. You are a spirit being and you are being continually renewed and your soul is now beginning to submit and allow the spirit to express itself through the soul. And you're coming into that alignment that Paul said would be spirit, soul, and body. No longer are you body, soul, and spirit. 
where spirit is at the end trying to tag along and, and make up for lost ground. You are now becoming aware that you are a spirit being. You are an eternal spirit. You have always been and you will always be. You just forgot what it was before you were born. He, he gave you amnesia. We've had amnesia. But I believe we're going to get some revelation on even how life was before we're born as we're getting revelation as it is how it will be when this earthly suit drops off. What, what, why we fear death is because that's part of the earthly life. That's part of, of trying to hang on to, to what we have on this earth. Look, there's nothing to fear in death. You're going to walk from the living room into the dining room. Your awareness is going to skyrocket. Your consciousness is going to go off the scale. You're going to be more perceptive. You're going, to, you're going to have more understanding than you do now because you're not going to have the drag of this, of this body, of this flesh, of the senses trying to battle you every step of the way. I'm telling you there's universal truth and you need to begin to understand and we need to begin to become uh, reconcilers of people to the truth that God is their father, that they've always been in Christ and that we don't have to live in the mess that we have created. And that's kind of where I'm going to go. I'll just tell you, in the months ahead, I'm going to talk about the power that we have to create. You're a creator. And I'm trying to help you to create the life that you want. God bless you. Thank you for being with me this morning. It's always good to be together on Sunday. I'll see you Wednesday night at The Secret Place. Back next week on Sunday morning. And uh, we're going to talk about some good things next Sunday morning. So we're just progressing one step at a time. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for your support. Um, it's a small number that helped me out monthly, but it allows me to pay my, my people and do the things that we need to do. There's so much I want to do to get this thing around the world, and we're, we're making a, a, an imprintable impression, but we need to do more and more. So thank you for your help, your consideration. There's lots of good places to put your money. So when you invest in this life-giving message that we teach, uh, it really thrills me. I appreciate it very much because it tells me that you're with me, you're backing me, and you got skin in the game. So we'll see you next time at the Digital Cathedral. Don't forget, Wednesday night at The Secret Place. Make sure you subscribe to this channel. Make sure you share this teaching. It's a good way to let people know. Flip the light switch for them. And uh, we'll just continue to progress together. Amen. God bless you. See you next time.